Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We know after we had the Great Recession, the uh, Fed uh, started a massive dumpster fire. Uh, They had quantitative easing, low interest rates. We even had uh, bailouts of the repo market. So there's a lot of things that were going on there for years. Then we had the lockdowns and the hush money that poured gasoline on that. We've had more gasoline uh, piled on that with um, sanctions for energy and other things. But as dangerous as all that is, as dangerous as the inflation is, we now have looming before us a central bank digital currency that is going to be a tool to see everything that we do and control everything we do. It's going to be the bars on an open-air prison. So what do we do about this? There are things that we need to do locally, especially, and at the state level. And uh, so joining us today is Tennessee State Senator Frank Nicely, and I want to get an update as to what is happening in Tennessee because, you know, there's a Texas uh, gold depository, precious metals depository, and there is a state bank in North Dakota. But there is talk in Tennessee about putting both of those things in Tennessee. So I want to find out the status of it, talk a little bit about how these things would work and uh, time frame this might happen. So joining us now is Tennessee State Senator Frank Nicely. Thank you for joining us, Senator. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, before we talk about the current status of it, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, how each of these things kind of operate where they are right now. Like in Texas, I know it was just a few years ago, I think it was in 2018, they put in their precious metals depository. Uh, what type of things uh, have you seen from that that, uh, you know, how would that work in, in, in Tennessee? And uh, what are the people who are pushing this? Uh, what are they looking at to get out of that here in, in uh, Tennessee? Well, you know, I don't hardly know where to start, but a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, Texas bought a billion dollars worth of gold for their teacher's retirement fund. Mm-hmm. And that gold was probably half what it is now. And they were storing it in the uh, in the bank in New York, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. Well, Texas didn't want to store their gold in New York, so they, they, they wanted their gold in Texas. So they eventually built a depository and move their billion dollars worth of gold to Texas. Well, um, North Dakota started a state bank in 1919, and it's uh, it's kind of like a wholesale bank. It supports the local banks and the local credit unions. It's uh, North Dakota has more local banks than any other state, and they can deal. The local banks can deal with the feds, or they can deal with the uh, with the uh, bank in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I've had legislation in the past to try to get us to establish a state bank here on that magnitude. In, in North Dakota, all the state deposits are deposited in the state bank. 
Now, local money and city and county, they can, they don't have to put thirds. They can put thirds in the local banks. But all the state money goes into the state bank. And uh, individuals can deposit in the state bank, but the state bank only has one location, and they don't offer all the little programs and the goody stuff, you know, give away toasters and things like that. <laughs> so they, uh, they don't really compete with the local banks. Mm-hmm. They're there to support the local banks. And that's one of the problems is that we have to, to sell the, the local banks on the idea that the state bank, they say, well, it, we don't like government the banking business. Well, you've had it all you like. <laughs> we don't, you, uh, we got to make them realize that the state bank, the wholesale bank, Tennessee, would, would support the local banks. Now, the Federal Reserve is slowly trying to put the local banks out of, out of business. Yeah, they're going to do that completely with the CBDC. I mean, they're going to go straight to the customers, and there's not going to be any local bank. And they've they've talked about that openly. That is the plan. That's been the plan uh, openly talked about since Biden administration took over. But that's what all the central bank digital currencies are designed to do. They go straight to the customer. There will not be any local banks. I, I guess the, the, probably the really big banks that are too big to fail, uh, they'll cut a deal somehow to be a part of it so that they can uh, get them – to uh, partner with them, but all the local banks will be gone if we don't have something like a state bank, I think. Well, that, that, that's true. And even though they're talking about it openly, as you say, the bankers aren't listening, they aren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it's, it's sad. I mean, I, my economics teacher in, at University of Tennessee had married a DuPont and he was uh, and a banker and he said there's no other industry knew as little about what they were doing as bankers. <laughs> Yeah, I have an experience with that as well. I had uh, I used to talk about the Fed. Uh, I, I I'm the kind of guy that in, in polite company I'll still talk about politics and religion. <laughs> so well, I had a guy who said, "Well, my brother is a uh, is vice president of a bank and um, <clears throat> branch or something," and he said, uh, "Tell David what the Federal Reserve does." And he goes, "They don't do anything except clear checks." And <laughs> I said, I don't even know where to start. You know, when no. you talk about the money supply and the interest rates and so many other things, but they're going to take over complete control. And, and of course, you talk about the, the Bank of North Dakota. It, it really has been an excellent uh, uh, thing for the local banks because if they've got a large loan, they have to partner with a, a big bank in many cases to get this done. But in North Dakota, they can partner with a state bank and the state bank isn't going to poach their customers. Exactly. Yeah. And there's many yeah. other things that they've done. They've, they've got a very good uh, local bank uh, network in, in North Dakota, one of the best. And uh, it's made them very healthy. They, they've been able to negotiate uh, down interest rates for the smaller banks and do loan guarantees for them and buy their loans from them and all these types of things. Uh, but, you know, that's just looking at what's happened in the last 100 years. It's been a great thing for the local banks in North Dakota. But there isn't any future for them whatsoever if there isn't some kind of a state bank to get in the way of this direct-to-the-consumer CBDC. You know, uh, you were talking about the feds there, and I, I suppose you probably read The Monster from Jekyll Island. Yeah. It was written by a guy named Ed Griffin. Mm-hmm. Ed Griffin has written a lot of good books. Um, he's 90 years old, and every year he puts on a um, conference called the red button red pill expo mm-hmm. the red expo referencing back to the movie the matrix where you get up in the morning you take the blue pill or the red pill you take the red pill while you wake up and see what's going on and smell the roses <laughs> he got got old captain austin pitts the other day and 
and thinking about having his expo here in Nashville. Oh. And if he doesn't, possibly want me to say a few words. Oh, that'd be great. And, so that uh, that was quite an honor to have Ed Griffin, who had written that book. I had no idea it's still alive. The book's been around forever. But anybody that's interested in the Federal Reserve at all needs to read the uh, monster from Jekyll Island. Tells all about how it was how it was started, but with uh, the senators and all met in secret down there and and came up with this plan. And uh, but anyway, well, you know when I I I read the history of um, the uh, Bank of North Dakota. And of course, there was a lot of opposition to them from the usual suspects. You know, the, the big banks didn't like it. Big corporations didn't like it. The federal government didn't like it. Uh, if you were to put this through in Tennessee, you're going to have all of those opponents, but it is the best thing for the people. And it's the best thing for the local banks. I mean, how, how do we get that word out? And, and what is the status of this right now? You've introduced a bill. Is that correct? Well, I haven't actually introduced a bill yet. I'm Okay. I'm trying to see just exactly, and I may end up in, introducing a caption bill that opens the code so they could put the details in later as we get more input from from all sides. I've already talked to the bank, a couple of the banking lobbyists, and of course they say, oh, well, we, we're a little leery of the government getting involved in banking. But, you know, Dodd-Frank was the first step toward putting these little banks out of business. That's right. And and this, this central bank digital currency will be be the end of them we a few years ago the commerce committee we passed um, the uh, blockchain bill to allow blockchain here in tennessee at the time i didn't know what blockchain was had no idea but uh, the blockchain evidently is an accounting system that the technology to allow the central the, the mr global as Catherine refers to him the global <laughs> whoever they are uh, you know some frenchman came out the other day and said there's 38 people rule the whole world and yeah. Name thirty-seven of them, but he, <laughs> he let one out. He, I don't know who that is, but um, it's it's an accounting system where they can keep track of everything you buy, and then who gets your money, who track what they buy. They can tax it when they want to. They can take your money away from you if you want to. They can tell you you have to spend your money in a certain time to speed up the velocity of transactions to heat up the economy, and it's just um, it's it's sinister. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah we've so had uh, one, at least uh, one Federal Reserve uh, governor or somebody, one of the Federal Reserve banks, went through all that and talked about it, all the different things that they could do to confiscate your money, to control your money, to make it disappear. And he said, I can understand why the Chinese communists would want that, but why would we want that here in the United States? Because that is exactly what it's going to do. It's going to be an open-air prison. It's going to be the bars of that. It's going to be a big brother system that is constantly monitoring and controlling everything that we do. They're going to measure how much or whether we can have different types of food and how much of it we can have, whether we can travel. I mean, we've got the smart cities that are rolling out their objectives, and they've put, made these public. Uh, we'll let you buy three items of clothing per year, perhaps, right? And you'll let you take a, a flight once every three years of 938 miles or less. That's what they're talking about doing to us, and they will be able to enforce it if we don't stop this CBDC. So it really is a critical issue. I mean, we can always work on a, a black market society, and uh, we can always uh, keep our own gold and silver and things like that, but it's going to be difficult. It would be much better if there was a legal framework at the state level that was going to protect us with this. So I really hope you can get that through. Um, so you're talking about introducing that and, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but, but give us an idea of uh, where the, 
precious metals depository bill in Tennessee is? Because it was something that was run through to investigate uh, the feasibility of that, a study with that. And there's also a group that has been um, organized uh, behind that as well. Do you know anything about that, what, what the status of that is? Brett Halsey from East Tennessee mm-hmm. ran last year, and it, I think it it uh, went through all the committees in the House. And uh, at the last minute, the treasurer, David Leonard, came in and put a huge fiscal note on it, said he, he needed a huge amount of money to hire three or four people to audit it all the time. And uh, wow. this independent group says, you know, come in once a year and, and look at our books. You don't need to audit us all the time. I mean, said, we, we'll, we'll do it, but I mean, we'll work with you. You don't need to hire any extra help to keep an eye on us. And so that stopped it last year, but we'll, we'll come back again. See, Tennessee actually has a state bank. Now there's some, some people say that there's a, the state bank's unconstitutional. We've had one for years. It's a small bank. The constitutional officers are the, are the officers of the bank, and they, they use it periodically to put money in. But we could develop that bank and um, add the depository. If, mm-hmm. And the depository, you could buy and sell in gold. I could sell you a property, and you could switch your gold in your account or into my account inside the depository. But some people say, well, you can't, the states can't issue paper money. Well, they have all back through history. Yeah. Uh, they call them warrants, a treasury warrant, uh, same as paper money. And it can be back for gold, silver, or, or whatever. But um, Yeah, the people who tell you that are the people who don't have any gold or silver backing up their paper. <laughs> right. Well, like Catherine, Catherine Austin Fitz said, you know, the, the central banks are buying gold. I read the other day where, China had about 300 uh, million tons of gold in the last little bit. There was a mystery buyer buying gold, and it turns out it was China. They're trying to buy gold. They bought a lot of it from Russia mm-hmm. to fund a war. And, uh, of course, right now, America has four times as much gold as China. Everybody worries about China, and they're buying gold like crazy. But we still have supposedly a lot of gold. Now, I remember when Reagan tried to do an audit at Fort Knox, he was never able to do it. They wouldn't let anyone in to see if there's any gold left in Fort Knox or not. So I just got a feeling that gold in Fort Knox has ended up in the Federal Reserve Bank vaults in New York. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah, you know, that that's you're talking about auditing uh, the uh, gold and whether or not there was anything there. Uh, when you look at the Shanghai Gold Exchange, that's supposed to be where all the gold and uh, the silver are for things like uh, paper gold and paper silver that are traded uh, as, um, you know, kind of as derivatives. But who knows if it's there? I mean, I saw, <laughs> I saw that was in Shanghai. It's like, well, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. And so that's why it's important for people to have uh, physical gold in a, in a depository that they can trust. And um, it would be a, a, a big boon to the state of uh, Tennessee, certainly, to have that there. Well, is, is there a sales tax on uh, in, in Tennessee on precious metals? No, we there was until this last year. Uh, Representative Bud Hulls and I passed the bill to remove the sales tax from gold and silver. Good. This so we don't have a tax on it now. Well, you guys are moving in the right direction. You're doing some good, some really good things to take the sales tax off and try to push for a depository and a state bank. You, you mentioned earlier that there is a Tennessee state bank. How does that work? Is it, uh, I've not heard of that before. Well, it's, uh, I didn't know about it either, but I've talked when I was first started talking about a state bank, with the treasurer, he said, well, actually we do, we already have a state bank. And, uh, he said occasionally, and I, he didn't go into any detail, but occasionally we need to put, we put bank in our 
put money in our state bank. We use it to run money through. So we actually already have one. So it's um, it's nothing like the one in in North Dakota, but it's technically a state bank. I think they call it the Tennessee Trust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Uh, talk a little bit about it, since uh, you're you're putting together uh, a package to try to uh, get a state bank through. Talk talk a little bit about the advantages of a state bank, you know, both to the state of Tennessee as well as uh, to consumers. We we talked a little bit earlier about the advantage to some local banks, but what are the advantages to um, to the state and to uh, the people of the state? Well, state, we have lots of money. We have $50 billion budget. When I when I first came here in 1988, we had $8 billion. I think 1980 was Tennessee's first billion-dollar budget. <laughs> so in 42 years, we've gone from $1 billion to $52 billion. We've grown a little over a billion a year for the last 40 years. Wow. So that's, that's 50 billion is a lot of money. We also have 70 billion or we had 70 billion before the little downturn in the stock market. I guess it's 60 now. I hope it's still 60. <laughs> retirement system. Uh-huh. And we've, we've tried through the years to get someone interested in putting money in the retirement system. But, but uh, the treasurer says, well, the retirement system needs to make 6% to keep it going and, and he can't he, he's afraid the gold silver wouldn't do that he wants to put it in the rainy day fund which either place would be five me mm-hmm. uh, we've got like a three somewhere between a three and five billion dollar surplus right now in tennessee after we've abolished four major taxes we abolished the inheritance tax the gift tax the hall's income tax and a professional tax and cut the tax on food and uh cut the tax for the farmers this year and we're still having billion dollar surpluses. So <laughs> that's great. And that's what well, gave you the, the part of what gave you that surplus is cutting taxes. It is. Yeah. It is. But you can't explain that. <laughs> but, and I'm not smart enough to somebody might, but I can't do it. I've tried. Yeah. But if we can figure out a way to do that, to explain it to liberals so they can understand it, they think it's a one time thing. Even a lot of conservatives think, well, it happened that time won't happen again. Mm-hmm. Well, happened all back through history. <laughs> it always right. does. Yeah, and the bad thing is that they think that uh, they'll talk about it being an expenditure uh, or their money as if it's their money. <laughs> they think that they yeah. own everything, and, uh, you know, we we can't give you any of this. It's like, wait a minute, it was our money to start with that you're taking. But, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, taking uh, less of a bigger pie and letting the pie grow. It's just that simple. But, um, so you, you got a, a lot of money in Tennessee. So are, how is that for, from the state standpoint, uh, is the state bank something that would uh, greatly reduce their fees and, and things like that to make that uh, more profitable? Well, at least we would know where we're going. Instead of having our money invested with, uh, with the Northeastern banks in New York and around it, we, we, we would know where our money was invested. North Dakota invests a lot of their money back in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like Ford coming in down here, you know, they're going to need a lot of money. We can invest with them. We can invest in, we can invest in Tennessee. If we wanted to invest in Wall Street, fine, we could. Mm-hmm. But we would, we, we would have more control over the money that we do have in our bank. And it really has helped the, uh, the state of North Dakota through the Depression. Uh, you know, we could wind up having another one of those. There's nothing that uh, prohibits that, certainly with the economic uh, perfect storm that's coming at us. But it helped uh, to pay teachers during the um, Great Depression. It's helped them through other economic downturns. It's helped them to reinvest money back into the infrastructure in uh, North Dakota as well. 
Yeah, and that we might get the teachers on our side. No, during the Great Depression, the teachers were paid with warrants. Mm-hmm. Most of the banks would cash those in with a fifteen percent discount. Mm-hmm. Bank of North Dakota would cash them in at face value. Yes, that that made a fifteen percent increase to the teachers. So the teachers in North Dakota appreciated the state bank. That's right. You know, cashing their warrants at at face value. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the consumers, what are the advantages for a, a state bank? Well, there are lots of them. I don't know exactly what in a 15, to sell and stuff to the consumer, you need to put in a 15-second soundbite, and I don't know <laughs> yet how you could boil it down to 15 seconds. If it gets 25 seconds, you lose them. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'd have to work on that, how we're going to. But one thing, as people learn about this central bank digital currency, and they learn about the Federal Reserve going direct back mm-hmm. in 2019, and when they they bypass the banks, they bypass the local banks. Where, where the consumer does his business down here at the local community bank. When the Federal Reserve in 2019 in Jackson, Wyoming, when they decided to give BlackRock the money and let BlackRock buy assets, they bypassed the banks. They went direct to get the money supplied. And I've, I've thought all along for years, you know, after a long run of inflation, you go into deflation, regardless of what the government does. And so the, the, the bank, people weren't borrowing money fast enough to keep the money supply up at reserve currency for the world. Uh, and uh, John Maynard Keynes, one of the few things he said that proved to be correct after 100 years was that no one country needs to be the reserve currency, have the reserve currency. Mm-hmm. So we, they couldn't get the money supply up fast enough by running it through the banks, even with interest rates that half a percent. So they had to go direct through BlackRock. And BlackRock's buying up, they buy whole subdivisions, pay 120% of what the developer's asking. They Between BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, they own 10% of every major corporation on Wall Street. It's, you read down what they their portfolio, and it is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. BlackRock owns Vanguard, and Vanguard owns BlackRock. And you ask, well, who owns BlackRock? <laughs> well, it's BlackRock Incorporated owns BlackRock. Well, who's BlackRock Incorporated? You can't find out. Mm-hmm. You don't know. It's just all a game. Yes, it is. And they're out of tricks. A lot of people think that the Federal Reserve's out of tricks. They've run this fiat money since 1971. That's the longest in the history of the world. As a, Genghis Khan had paper money, and Marco Polo told him about it. In Europe, but he said he could only make it last seven years. Well, we've done better than Marco Polo and King Kong did today. We've <laughs> run two or three years now, so it's, it, I don't know how much long, longer this fiat money will last. And, but if the, I think the first thing we've got to do is tell people to listen to the guy from the Federal Reserve when he tells you about central bank digital currency and how he's going to put it on your phone yeah. and how he's going to track everything you spend. And he can make you stay at home because you can't buy gas more than so many miles from home. That's right. And if that could ever sink in, I think that say, well, maybe we better have a state bank and maybe we better let Tennessee issue some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We were backed by silver, backed by gold, whatever. And of course, if, if they did this, it would actually be, it would make the black market in Russia look like nothing. Yeah. America, we're good at everything and we'd be really good at the black market. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, and that is the fallback position, but maybe there's something we can do to keep from, from getting well, in the black market. 
market. <laughs> no government regulations on the black market. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we don't need a soundbite. What we need to do is educate people about what the CBDC is and what it's going to do to their lives. And they're making no secret of it. It, it is yeah. an open, that's the amazing thing to me about it. And, and I was very disappointed to see, you know, we just had elections and, um, you know, Joe Biden gave out every one of the executive branch bureaucracies instructions on uh, reports that he wanted back. He did that back in March, the beginning of March. and said, I want the information back in six months. And he broke it down into uh, how are you going to re- completely redesign the financial system? How are you going to enforce this on people? Uh, some people who are going to design the software and then how they're going to market it. And uh, so they had this plan. They're rolling out their, you know, their pilot uh, is already happening right now. And all of the banks are doing this and they're doing it gradually. They're starting out at the wholesale level. And um, I guess at that point, maybe still even the local banks won't really understand what's going on. They'll say, well, they're just clearing checks, you know, like that uh, vice president of the bank that uh, my friend knew. Um, but um, I think that the key thing, we, we can talk about the inflation stuff and all of the things that have been prepared there, but you're right, it is the CBDC that is unquestionably the reason that we've got to have a state bank. All of the rest of this stuff has been looming over our heads, and they may be able to keep this, um, you know, spinning the plate on the stick for a while longer, but this CBDC thing is, is coming after us. And so it's not really about economics at that point. It's not about, well, you know, can we make this a little bit more efficient? Can we help the the banks to stay in business and thrive? Can we buy the loan rates down? All of these different types of things. It's no longer strictly financial. This is about surveillance and absolute control. And if people understand that, then they will go to a state bank. And it really doesn't matter even if the state bank is more expensive if we value our freedom. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, there's in India, I read the other day about a lady in India who had done nothing wrong, but through a computer glitch, they cut her off and she mm-hmm. uh, starved to death because she couldn't buy anything with her smartphone and her friends got tired of feeding her. Maybe she didn't have any friends. I don't know, but it just, uh, it's unbelievable the control that they have through this blockchain Yeah, and, and artificial intelligence. That, That's right. The Aadhaar system in India was uh, you know, brainchild of uh, Bill Gates and the Rockefeller Foundation, the ID2020. I, I just talked... Um, yesterday to uh, an individual who's from India. He's spent all of his life here in the U.S. as a, an engineer, uh, wanted to warn people about uh, biometric surveillance and smart cities and things like that. But he talked about how it was in India, and they gradually rolled this thing out saying, well, you know, we'll give you some free services, but you got to sign up for the Aadhaar system and get that government uh, digital ID. And now it's essential if you want to do any business. And as you pointed out, if you don't have it, you're going to starve. They'll shut you off of everything. They'll shut you off of uh, medical care, food, travel, everything. And um, and we've already seen what that looks like in social media. We've seen what it looks like with the protests in Canada. If they don't like you, they don't like your politics, they don't like your religion, they will shut you off. That's the whole point of all of this stuff. So it is essential to our survival to get some of these things through. So I really do hope that uh, you can make some headway there. And, um, you know, let me know. I'm, I'm in uh, Tennessee. Let us know, and I'll get the word out to people. Uh, as the, the idea uh, get them to me and let me know. It's uh, like we're in the infant stages. we got some good people working on it. And the interesting thing, most time in politics, when somebody comes with something, they're trying to make a buck off of it. The people that are pushing this, they're they're trying to save America and save Tennessee for the grandchildren. They're not trying right. to make it. 
or just mm-hmm. trying to save what we have. And that's the key thing. You know, if you get something like this together and, um, and it becomes a bulwark against this CBDC, other states can do the same thing as well. You know, all it takes is a, a couple of states so, who understand what the issue is and can sell it and get it uh, clear to people what is happening, and it'll start to catch fire. So it's going to be whoever does it first is going to have a real battle ahead of them because there's going to, the the other side understands this, the opposition understands this as well. <laughs> well, there's some powerful people in Alabama that are interested in this, and state compacts are perfectly legal. We're involved in lots of state compacts with other states. We can form a compact with a few states around us. Um, perfectly legal mm-hmm. that'd be great on each other's state money or mm-hmm. whatever we have to do and i i tell people i said do you know what a dixie is and they said well what do you know what a dixie is <laughs> no i don't you know, i wish i wasn't dixie do you know what dixie was what is that the mason yeah, dixon what issued by the french banks in new orleans the, or- the orleans bank would issue currency oh. and a ten dollar bill is called a dixie oh really oh. yeah he was he was the old black gentleman that wrote the song, he was up north wanting to be back in the land of Dixie, land of the $10 French mills. <laughs> I, I, was in, uh, I was in Hong Kong, and we were looking at the currency there, and, um, and I started looking at it closely, and very different colors and different designs for the same denomination, but they were all Hong Kong dollars, and, and they were the same year and everything. It's like, what's going on with this? And then I realized they, were, they had private banks there, and this was – about 15 years ago. So I don't know if this is still the situation, but they had private banks who kind of operated uh, the way we used to here in the United States before we had a central bank. You'd have a private bank and it would have to have reserves and it would issue script on that bank. And, you know, part of it was trusting that bank, you know? So um, it was, uh, that that still 15 years ago was still the case in Hong Kong, like we used to have back in the early 1800s in the U.S. Well, the trust is the, is the only thing that keeps U.S. dollar going. That's right. Uh, I've talked to people who travel internationally and they say, even though it, we're worried about the dollar, it's still the strongest thing in, in the world economy. They said people want to save money, they buy, they have $100 bills. And so they trust America. Uh, they don't trust China. They don't trust Russia. Mm-hmm. So we've got that going for us. And, and that we hope we don't lose that trust. Mm-hmm. But if, they, if the central bank digital currency, that trust is gone. That's right. That's right. And, and they will quickly consolidate all of them. Uh, with a global ID and a global CBDC. Uh, But, you know, the other part of it is is that uh, we're weaponizing our currency at the same time. It's been a great free ride for them uh, because relative to all the other fiat currencies, they look good, but we're using it as a weapon, and that's going to backfire. It already is backfiring. We've already got other countries that are working together to try to get around that system because they understand that we have essentially unlimited money uh, that we can print if they don't uh, stop that. And, and, And that... Uh, type of thing has already happened with Bretton Woods too. They understood that, uh, you know, after World War uh, II and uh, the Bretton uh, Agreement, uh, the U.S. is going to be the the standard because we had most of the gold and uh, gold in the world. And then uh, the U.S. was not doing it honestly. They were issuing a lot more paper than they had gold, and so then that caused a bit of a crisis. They got the petrodollar out of that, but it is going to be. Uh, you know, regardless of whether or not they reset the currency, regardless of whether or not we have massive inflation or even hyperinflation, it still comes back down to the CBDC. I think that has to be the issue on how we sell this. And, and it is a real existential issue, I think, to try to stop that thing. Well, ask you this, what you know about the, the British nations, you know, Brazil, Russia, yes. China, and India. 
they're trying to come up with the currency back by gold, and which would, uh, if they could do that, and if it would take a while, but if people ever got to trusting their currency back by gold, that would really be hard on the dollar. But mm-hmm. if they come out with the currency back by gold, how does that work in with these CBDCs, these central bank digital currencies? Well, I think they will still be uh, fiat currencies because it's really about control. But you know, they they could make a case that it was a uh, a gold that it was gold backed. Whether or not that was true or not, they could always run that out there. I mean, we ran that scheme for a while, even though we were printing more paper money. And um, so they could say, well, we got enough gold to back it, whether they do or not, whether they you know get rid of the gold under the table. But the key thing is, is that it, whoever can get this central bank digital currency established, that puts them in control. And once they're in control, they don't really have to worry about whether they're honest with the uh, gold, I think. They can pretty much do whatever they want, don't you think? Well, yeah, probably right, yeah. (laughs) I think all Uh, bets are off. Once they get that, we're we're done. And and so that is a very important thing, um, and we need to get the word out on CBDC. I hammer that all the time with people. And um, the the problem is that, that people think that they look at these things and they think they're going to happen at some point in the future. They just don't think it's going to happen maybe even in their lifetime or in the next few years. And they don't realize how quickly this is intended to roll out. Every country right now is working on some kind of CBDC. Just as we saw with the pandemic, they all had this new approach to a pandemic, and that was to lock everybody down and keep them down until you got a a vaccine. And they all need to take the vaccine and they all got to get the vaccine passport and all the rest of the stuff. All of the countries were operating in lockstep. They were all doing things they'd never done before, doing them the same thing at the same time. And it's going to happen again with this CBDC because these people got a plan. They want to get everything in place by 2030. Uh, the UN, World Economic Forum, they've, they've got a set date. And as you know, you know successful people don't just have goals. They got goals and timelines. They've got a, a, a date that they want this established. And these people do, they have that date already set and they're going to be pushing us very hard towards that. I think. That was the amazing thing about the COVID sh- shutdown is how coordinated it was around yes. the world. Yes. They were sending out test kits a year before the COVID came out okay. to make sure that all the third world countries had test kits. It is the whole thing orchestrated, yes. coordinated. And the fact that they can do it around the world was really amazing. Yeah. 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 We can say it's orchestrated. They won't, if we say it was a conspiracy, they would, <laughs> they would get outside. we can say it's orchestrated and, and we're okay. But, uh, but it was, it was all of those things. <laughs> it was a criminal conspiracy. And the same, the amazing thing is, is that they put the plans out there and, and people don't even pay attention to them. You know, the C40 organization, uh, 75, uh, cities that, uh, large cities, and uh, they have uh, put out specific goals about how they don't want to have any private cars. They want to keep people uh, within a 15-minute area. They're going to create uh, neighborhoods that are 15, you know, uh, where you don't have to travel more than 15 minutes and you can walk everywhere. And uh, you don't ever need to leave that area. And you will never leave that area. They're going to prohibit you from doing it. And they will track you. Uh, and you know all of these things, the IDs, the passports, the currency, the CBDC, it's all designed to surveil and to control your movement, your purchases, everything about your life, what you eat, the clothes that you wear, and of course, whether you travel or not. So that is the world that they're designing for us. And it, it's just hard to get people to understand that they're serious about this and they have the capability to carry it out if we don't stop them. If we all stand up and say, no, we don't want that, we can back them down and we can do it peacefully. But um, 
you know, people just can't bring themselves to understand that someone would want to do this and that they would have the technology to do it. And that's the thing that is, is really dangerous to us, I think. You mentioned the word peaceful there. I, I listened to an interview several years ago about how to peacefully get out from under the Federal Reserve and without a revolution or an economic downturn or whatever. And the way to do that is to slowly the banks have their own state banks, their own wholesale banks, little many central banks, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And if the different states do that, then we gradually get out from under the Federal Reserve peacefully. I agree. Yes, I agree. Everybody likes peace. That is the goal. We can talk about the economics of it. We can talk about the financial advantages of it, just like we can talk about the advantages of having gold. But all of this is about freedom and independence, independence from a central bank, independence from a global digital currency. Uh, these are the things that we're fighting for. All the rest of the stuff is going to be uh, a long-term advantage for sure. But uh, in the near term, we got to understand that uh, we have to pay whatever the price is in order to uh, get free of the CBDC and to get free of these other uh, control mechanisms that they put in place. And, and there is a way to peacefully do it. It really is about education. I think that's why they work so hard to control speech and to control what people hear, to control the narrative, because if people understand the alternatives, uh, it's going to be very clear to them what they need to do. Thank you so Michael, much. Yes, go why, ahead. Mm-hmm. Why are Washington congressmen and the senators have you ever heard a congressman or a senator mention CBDC? That's what I was saying. Yeah, we just had the election. I said, why haven't any of the people in Washington said anything about that? And that's why I said not, the, the issue is going to be – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do they talk about the Great Reset? Do they talk about no. Federal Reserve going direct? Why is Congress – are they all blackmailed or, or subdued or threatened? Why do none of them – I've never heard a congressman or a U.S. senator mention any of this. That's right. None of them. None of them. And, and that's what I said when talking about the last election. I said, you know, the solution is bottom up. The solution is local communities and in the state government because nobody at the federal government, they all know about it. Uh, it's being talked about by the Federal Reserve. It's being talked about the UN. All the different governments are running programs. Why are they not talking about this? Biden is running this. Why wouldn't some of the Republicans say, you know what Biden is getting ready to do? Let me tell you what he's going to do. Nobody said anything about that throughout this entire election. That is a big tell, isn't it? What people need to realize is the states created the federal government. Yes. The states created the local governments. The state is the parent. The local governments and the federal governments are the children. That's right. We're the parents. We're the drivers. Why are we letting Washington force this on us? Why are we not standing up more against them? It's just, uh, I, I, you know, the war between the states and the Great Depression kind of, you know, gave them beat us down into submission and, and made us think that the federal government was the, the answer to everything and the solution to everything, but it's not. It's, it's the federal government's the problem. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, Reagan got that right. Uh, you know, they had, um, and I think a lot of it, uh, Senator Nicely, is the, the fact that the federal government has this fiat currency, and so they can just shower money on people. That's how they get everybody to do everything that they want. Uh, would you like to have a couple hundred billion for a new highway or something? Well, we'll do that. Just do what we tell you to do. And then also, uh, conversely, uh, you want us to take away all that money that we just promised you? Well, we'll do that if you don't do what we tell you to do. So that's the power of the Federal Reserve. Uh, the, the ability to just you know shower out all this money gives Washington unlimited power 
to intimidate, to persuade, to coerce the states to do whatever they want. And so it is the Federal Reserve, I think, that has really turned the states into the slaves of the federal government, I believe. Probably. Probably is. I mean, yeah. I, I can't speak to there. Yeah. Yeah. But we, if we get some uh, more senators like you, uh, we can change this. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I really do appreciate what you're doing. And again, uh, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll put information out to people in Tennessee, see what we can do to uh, help. But I think the key thing that we have to focus on is the CBDC uh-huh. and educating people about that. Yes. Well, I do too. And, and when the Federal Reserve is openly talking about it, I mean, they, they should believe it. I mean, it's almost like they, they got ears but can't hear. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Senator Nicely. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Anytime. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.